You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. Oh. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Lounging with Skip, episode 38. Um, You know, with this technology, with the Zoom and everything, it really is an advanced step. Um, More so than what it was previously when I was just doing the audio. So now we can actually see each other. And to me, I think that's a dope thing. I, I, I can't be more grateful than having it this way. That way I'm able to reach out to different people that I know um, through my journey, um, you know, from different cities. Um, this man right here, I remember um, hearing about the name, that this name, I think it was like when I came back from St. Louis after going to college, um, it was like around maybe fall 2001. And when I would come back, it was a radio show on, um, I believe it was 95.5 at the time. And the show would come on Sunday nights. Um, I don't know, 10 o'clock to two in the morning, I guess it was one in the morning. And it was called Fat Laces. And I was like, yo, this this is crazy. It's like hearing 88.1. For those that are from St. Louis, it was like, it was like hearing 88.1 on Friday nights back in the early to mid-90s, but hearing it all over again in the early 2000s. And I remember it being DJ Needles and Finster. So I would always hear the name Finster. And I think even before then going to Blueberry Hill, I would hear the name, but I never met the person. And it wasn't until maybe four years later, I ran across him. I probably ran across him previously before that, but actually officially coming across him when I got introduced into the marketing company, promotion company called Shrewd Marketing. And from there, that was when I began to understand and realize about the whole marketing and promotion game in St. Louis. And he was one of the guys that spearheaded that along with Solo, rest in peace. Um, so I wanna welcome everybody to the podcast and I wanna introduce uh, Finster, for those that don't know, uh, out of St. Louis, the marketing and promotion guru of St. Louis. So I wanna welcome you Finster. Thank you, thank you for uh, lounging with me, man. What's up, what's up? Mr. Skipper Beat, what's happening? Oh man, you know what I'm saying? Just finding different avenues, different, different, uh, you know, creative spots to be able to still push forward, man. So I appreciate you uh, coming to lounge with me. I wanna um, kind of go into the aspect of, um, first off, where are you from? Southside St. Louis. Southside all St. Day. Louis. Yes, well, um, all day, every day. <laughs> um. In your earlier years, what introduced you to the music game? Um, I can say uh, my uncles to a degree, but as a kid growing up, just seeing the evolution of rap before your very eyes was astounding, mesmerizing, you know, the driving force to to make you want to be a part of that whole uh, era and just the the, the, the hip hop scene itself or just in hip hop in general. Okay. So 
Mm-hmm. Was it something, um, so did you know at that time, like this was something new to your ears as you were hearing it as a kid? Definitely, because, you know, we both, we were around the same age. So a lot of times, like when people, when you take the original story of how rap came along is when the same time was when my coming of age was the same. So just seeing people, you know, doing disco stuff and then parties and then house parties and then moving from house parties into something to where one day the guys were uh, break dancing and it was like, what the heck is he doing, man? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I can do that. I can do that. Now, were you seeing this in person or were you seeing this on TV? First? I can, I like, I can't, I can't fathom the two because they probably all blur at that time. But one of the first times that I saw somebody break dancing was on this show called That's Incredible back in the day. Mm-hmm. And they was like, this is a phenomenon of people and was just doing this thing called break dancing. Then they had like three or four break dancers come on there, kind of like compete yeah. to see who was the best breaker at the time. Yeah. And, uh, from that point, uh, I think it was uh, a show. It was a show that came on. I want to say, I can't remember her name. It was a lady that had the show came on, and she had uh, Rappers Delight come on. When Rappers Delight, when they came on there and did Rappers Delight on the show, okay, I sat on. I was on the floor. I was on the floor, sitting there watching, like the entire time absorbing this phenom that it was just hit me in in like real time hmm. it was it was like if you ever seen a sponge a dry sponge thrown in in a tub of water yeah that's exactly what happened to me when i saw it hmm. now during this period in your life were other kids around you taking in that as well like it became this overall kind of feeling around you or was it more so of a a personal thing that was that you were feeling as a kid I would say in my household it was it was me and then going to school seeing the effect that it had on other kids and other kids were trying to do the same thing because you know back then pretty much everybody watched the same type of shows it wasn't you didn't have a uh, uh, a plethora of different types of shows or things to watch back then. So it was that particular moment in time where if you saw this show, you came to school to talk about it. So so let me guess, was this like around like 84? Somewhere around there, 84, 83, 85? <laughs> Negatory. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. So, no. Nope. I'm telling you no. No. I'm telling you no, brother. Okay. The year had to be at least 79. Mm. Whoa. So 79, that's when that's incredible was coming on and you was up you was up taking this right because Rapper's Delight was 79, 80 during the disco era because it took, yeah, okay. So that's when you, that's when it hit you. Right. Wow. 
Okay, so see, you know what I'm saying? That 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 that's a few years ahead of me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay, okay, okay. And you know, during that time, Rapper's Delight, I believe that was um that was uh Sylvia. She I, I believe the Rapper's Delight was signed, uh they were signed to Sylvia, the group, Sugar Hill Gang. Mm-hmm. They were signed mm-hmm. to her label. Okay. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was the one that brought them forward to come out with that because you know Sylvia was Sylvia was early hip hop too. If you go back and listen to, you know, um, what's that song that she that was, I forgot the name of the song right now, but uh, uh, but she but her album man was like you know I think she produced for like the moments mm-hmm. and that was you know that that was like low key boom bap in a way but like on some R and B tip. Right. So, so during this period coming through, now you know the the end of disco was happening. Folks was the phenomenon of this rapper's delight was popping up. It was still kind of disco, but Michael Jackson kind of came in and kind of changed the game up a little bit with the Off the Wall album, and he was becoming this this shining superstar right on his own. And then, as we all know, you know what I'm saying, Thriller came came along. And I think what it I think what happened for all of us, no matter how old you were or you know, young or whatever, it wasn't until that moment when he did the moonwalk on the the um the, was it the Grammys, right? Motown. The Motown, 25 uh, anniversary reunion, right? Yes. When he did the moonwalk, that was when everybody was like, what the? Cause you know what I'm saying? That was a spinoff of, that was that was break dancing um, in a way. So it was the way that you were feeling in 79 being taken in as a sponge, but him coming on the actual anniversary and doing that, it was like, we all as kids in that time became sponges to it, right? That is correct. And so during that period, now we got these movies that were coming, Beach Street, Break In, what was your take on, um, you know, hip hop at that time when Beat Street and Break In and those those movies were coming into play? <laughs> well, by that time, I was already uh, heavy into uh, what was happening as far as rap goes because um, I think bef- even before, just to jump back a little bit. Uh, I had a I had a whole thing with Blondie doing the rap and then um, the rap of the light coming up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a whole thing with it because I was like, she is doing that, but then they did this, and I was like, well, is she biting or are they biting? You know, at the time, so I it kind of threw me through a loop. So that made me go start digging into certain songs, and it took me back to. Uh, my uncle's records to where they were playing like Blowfly and stuff like that. Mm. And so I was listening to those and then moving forward um, in school, we would, you know, be breakdancing and some of the guys wouldn't be rapping per se, but they would be learning. I said, hip hop, hip, hip, hip to the hip, hip hop, you don't stop. Mm. Start doing that a lot. So everybody was saying those raps going into uh, school at those mm. times. Mm. And so by the time um, Michael Jackson hit and then uh, Breaking and uh, Beach Street hit, 
it was like leveling up on what was happening with the hip hop, what was going on with hip hop. And that's what, that changed uh, a a dynamic to uh, to the style of how you dress, you know, your mannerisms, some of your techniques on how you rapped or how you danced, you know, and uh, a lot of people didn't, a lot of people didn't really get into a lot of graffiti, but only knew like maybe a couple of guys that actually used to draw. You know? right. They didn't do spray paint, but they used to just draw and doodle stuff all the time. You know. Plus, you know, during that time in St. Louis, trying to walk around with a with a spray can, trying to spray paint on walls, it's like it was kind of unless you was gang banging. But even then, folks wasn't really gang banging until '88 when Colors came out in St. Louis. Well, to add to that. I'm going to say it was some gang banging going on back then. It just wasn't as uh, prevalent as the whole colors or Crippin' Blood situation was before that because there's always been gangs and then of course uh, certain separations in the city uh, made things a little more, uh, uh, I would say a little more intense depending on where you were. So like I people like, well, I'm from the north side. Well, okay, you're from the north side. Okay, well, you know, north side gritty, you know. Where you from? South side. Well, south side ain't, I mean, depending on where you go on the south side, you know, you know, people do that. But I think just having um just to be, being able to maneuver in certain areas because the way I look at St. Louis is, you know, I'm I I venture on all sides. So I don't care and I know how to move and just anywhere you go you know just whenever you move you know where to move you know how to move or you may move people in these areas but when it came to the gangs back then um, a lot of it was pretty much as it was territorial but at the same time you had depending on where you live it was a little segregation involved so sometimes you have to uh, you know kind of watch where you're going and as far as dealing with certain people of different ethnicities, right. which is only us and right. white folks at the right. time for the most part. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so mo- moving forward, so around, so like, do, can you remember when, when the first, like what's the first, um, first song you heard that not even necessarily hip hop, but just song to where you were like, kind of taken aback by music where music was something that you was it drew your interest you remember the actual first song you heard man i can i'm gonna say i cannot <laughs> because um maybe i'm i mean maybe i'll just i'm just made up that way i was maybe i was born that way about music because even as a kid um i can go as far back as my grandmother my grandmother should throw some stupid dope house parties. And of course, uh, me being a little kid, we could never go downstairs to be hanging out with the grown folks. Right. But when the grown folks ain't paying no attention, mm-hmm. I'm gonna slide through, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my uncle, uh, my oldest uncle, he had a group uh, he used to have a singing group back in the day. I can't remember the name of the group, but you know his his thing was always you know they they grew up in the time of like the Temptations yeah. and stuff like that. So they doing the moves and all that stuff. And so one time in one of the parties, he started doing the moves, 
and want to party, trying to show this little, little, little routine off. Mm. Me, I picked it up immediately and jumped right in and did the routine. Mm. And so it was like, yes, in front of everybody. Like it turned into a circle right there. And, you know, he didn't have them, but like it was only like maybe like four steps to the whole routine. So it was easy to pick up. Mm. So it was like one, two, three, four. And I was like, man, I could do that. And I'm probably, I'm super young. Like I jumped right in and Start did the moves with them, you know what I'm saying? When grandmoms came around, you know, it was cool for a while till, you know, I got in trouble. Like, get, get your butt upstairs. Yeah, ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we all, you know, you know, some of us that gravitated to the music, you know what I'm saying? That kind of story kind of happens to all of us because I remember something like that happening to me as a kid too. That's interesting that you mentioned that, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So going into the mid eighties, of course, you know, we got break in B street, that stuff is happening. Then it started becoming this commercialized type of thing with like the movie rapping and you know what I mean? Now during this time, we got run DMC, come, you know, coming on the scene, you know, the, the way the rap music started to change. Did you notice the change in your ear and just your environment changing when run DMC came onto the play with like, you know, the, the um, the, uh, the the Peter Piper and you know what I'm saying the Raising Hell album. I think the Raising Hell album changed the trajectory in you know from the old school hip hop sound to this new wave that was coming through. How do you feel about that? Looking back on that. Period. Well, to to add on to that, uh, I got introduced, of course, again at one of my grandmother's house parties to Run DMC. But my uncles, of course, they would always, my uncles had a DJ, like a little DJ service or, you know, early, earlier on, but they always wow. had. Hold on a minute. Let's blow, let's, let's blow. Your uncles had a DJ service back then. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I just want to keep that thought. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so um, they used to play the first album from Run DMC and it was like hearing those records to me resonated before I even heard, or before they even made the uh, the next album going into that one, because I was still into uh, every, I, 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 the song names escape me right now, but those songs uh, changed it for me, changed the, the how music sound at that time, because I don't even think B Street actually hit yet, but it came right after that. And so uh, all of that stuff kind of meshed together. It came to like the stepping stones of so hold how. On. So you were getting the advanced, like kind of the advanced sound of what was about to come before it actually came, but you were getting it because your uncle had a DJ service. So you was able to hear like certain songs like, Beat Street, the king of the beat. I see you rocking that. Like you hearing like this song actually before the movie is even coming out type of, is that what you're saying? Um, You know, it's too far back to even know the difference, but um, when Beat Street dropped, that was that was a whole, like, like you're getting ready to get into, uh, that was a whole phenomenon by itself versus uh, Run DMC because when Run DMC hit, with the first album, we were in the parties and um, I actually could come down. I was a little bit older, but I used to could come downstairs early in the party because it was early. But 
But then when people started showing up, we had to go back upstairs. And then by time, I would go upstairs and be looking down over the side and be seeing everybody partying to these records. And then I would see certain reactions to certain records. And I'd be like, what is, what, what is that they playing? And you know, I, I would wait until the end of the party because everybody would be gone. It would probably be some little bit of food left over, maybe some, you know, party snacks or whatever. And it'd be a couple records, you know, they still playing records, but ain't nobody really, you know, vibing like there was during the height of the party. Yeah. So I would go over and look at the records and see what was, what was this he was playing? What? And I saw, I remember seeing the Run DMC album right there. And I was like, who are these guys? You know, mm -hmm. they had the hats on, they still had the, they had the early stages of Adidas and stuff that yeah. was, that was happening. Yeah. And it turned into a whole nother situation for me. And it was like, man. And so when that, when I saw that album, by that time, that gave me another stair step to uh, going to the B Street and then going into the next uh, uh, Run DMC album, which all was probably happening, yeah, when I was in middle school. Yeah, okay. And um, it for for it to be what it was at the time, hip hop was like if you probably see a few other um documentaries or whatever they always said it was high fashion you know and you had to have these crazy outfits yeah. or whatever but when b street dropped mm -hmm. it gave you the, the to me the quintessential uh pillars of hip-hop at its rawest form yeah so you didn't have to it's it showed me that i didn't have to have these elaborate outfits it was like make do with what you got but make right. it look dope right right and that right. that 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 was one of the things that changed for me and then um the style of what you could do with your shoes and the things you could do is like you know what with your pants man you could still you could you could still cuff them and do this or you know you can do that with your with your, with your uh with your shoe strings you can flatten them out make them fat laces you know and That's try to just that's interesting as a kid already in your mind thinking about how music effective effectively changed a kid's mind at that early age into where it becomes um a, a situation where we are we still have that embedded in us today right you know what i mean All i don't right. think it's really been a culture that's been brought a, around amongst the generation that transcends from that generation into adulthood maybe rock and roll in the mid in the 50s but there's like when the temptations and things like that came around in the 60s there's not people still walking around of that age still walking around with conk in their hair wearing slacks and dress shirts talking about do you know doing doo-wop right but you still have grown men such as us still have the hip-hop culture embedded in us to where even if we're doing just a bare minimum in, in our daily routine it still has a sense of hip-hop from when we were kids exactly that's so dope of hearing your story on that now during this period from junior high going into high school were you involved in the band or were you involved in anything dealing with music coming through high school like at um, school stuff like that as far as middle school went, yeah, um, 
back then, my dad used to, uh, my dad played a uh, saxophone. So he played the saxophone when he was in school. So he had a saxophone at the house and uh, he would show me how to play a couple of things, you know, how to hold it, you know, how to hold the saxophone. And so I, w- I went into band class in middle school, junior high, and I tried to play the uh, saxophone, you know. It was okay, but I don't think it really resonated with me. Yeah. But what did resonate with me is my my uncle, uh, he used to play the drums. And so he played the drums and it made me like, man, how's he, you know, how's he doing this with the, with the sticks? And, you know, I was like, it, it mesmerized me. And so he actually took me under his wing and showed me a few things on how to play a snare. So uh, I, I took that and ran with it. So I immediately dropped the saxophone and went right to the snare drum immediately. So, and, and what's so dope about hearing that part is about you going to the drums and how where hip hop was at that time when Rick Rubin did like the LL Cool J, the early Beastie Boy stuff, it was all based off drums. So where it's like, so you at that age were gravitating to the drums and not only are you gravitating to the drums, you're hearing the drums on these records. So now, cause you don't, you're not really hearing saxophone being played on <laughs> records. Unless it's like a chopped up sax sound, you know what I mean? Right, but right. the actual. So I'm seeing how it's forming. I'm seeing how it's forming for you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So continue. So you were playing <laughs> drums and. Right. So in school, I I, I went. I flipped from, uh, being, in the sax, you know, the brass section, to percussion section. So, I had the the, the teacher there. He was, uh, a little, he was a little tough. I can't remember his name, but uh, he was a little tough. But he told me how to get the drum pad in order to practice on. And so at the time it was like $25 and that was like unheard of. Like $25, man, just to do this in class. I got to have my own and sticks. Oh man. So I went and told my mom, and, you know, they they got it together for me. And I, I, I came in and it was like, he, he told us, he said, if you don't have, if you don't have the, the drum kit or the, the drum pad, you can't play the drums. So it was only out of like six or seven people, only two of us came back with the drum pad and sticks. What high school did you go to? Roosevelt. Roosevelt, okay, okay. Yeah. So uh, once we uh, once we got that, then he, he showed me, by the time he I got that in class, my uncle was showing me how to hold the sticks. And he was showing me um, how to play certain things and how to hold the sticks and, you know, showing me paradiddles early. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, okay. I saw the thing that said it was about to, about to yeah. stop. Do we need to? Yeah, and then I got to reload. Think, yeah, I, I have. I extended it. You know, um, it was saying. Oh. That, yeah, I extended it. I don't know why I said that. Okay, I was making sure because I didn't want to get cut off in the middle. Okay, back to Ross one. But whatever the case may be, I can always just edit and start it back, and we can continue. Okay. You know what I mean? So okay. So um, once my uncle showed me, you know, how to do like paradiddles and stuff like that, uh, 
he wrote it down in a book for me. So I had like a little, it was like a cheat sheet almost, but I had like a, a little folder yeah. that had all these different like uh, drum patterns and stuff that I, I learned from him. And then the teacher gave us uh, like some easy stuff to do. And then by the time the teacher showed me the easy stuff, it was boring. I was like, this is crazy. Like he ain't really showing me nothing. It's like, and he would show you, okay, here, this is what the class is going to play. This is what you got to play. And it was like, class would be like, I was like, this is stupid because my uncle was playing, you know, he was, he, he always liked, uh, he was heavy in the drums and when he was at Roosevelt. And then he always saw, he used to hang out with the guys that used to, uh, the drum corps called Lancers. Okay. And uh, he Lancers. Used to, yeah. So he used to he used to hang out with those guys, and they would, you know, they if you ever look online and you see them doing a thing, it was like drum line before drum line. Gotcha. And they would, you know, do their thing or whatever. And I just say, oh, that was crazy. That was crazy. So uh, the teacher, I never really learned more from the learning anything from the teacher. I learned more from my uncle in the drum section going into uh, the whole percussion situation. So, so was this during high school? This was middle school. Okay, middle school. So did yeah. you take any of that going into high school? Did you want to join the band in high school? Or, or um, band? Well, going from middle school to high school, uh, I had a <laughs> I had a whole situation. My uncle took, he took me when I was I wasn't ready, but he took me to one of his uh, high school performances. Okay. And it was to play the snare and a, maybe a little bass, but so I wasn't- going to just play the snare? I was going to play the snare, <laughs> but at the same time, we I did have a few lessons on the bass. But uh, at the time, I guess somebody like he was getting ready to go do the whole thing or whatever. He was like, you want to go? I need one of the guys not showing up uh, to play the, the snare. All I need you to do is just do a roll on the snare. You know, just do a roll. That's all I need you to do. And I was like, okay. He said, let me see you do it. So I did it. He's like, all right, cool. Come on, let's go. We're going to the school. Get to the school. I'm out here Roosevelt. with the whole band at Roosevelt. With the whole band. It's key. It's like... To me, I'm a middle schooler, dog. Like, I'm gonna handle it, but it was intimidating because I'm here with everybody that's, you know, they sound way better than middle school, junior high kids, you know, playing. I'm like, yo, this sound way different, you know? So kind of I jumped in. Advanced. Yeah, way advanced. And so uh, the, the teacher that was uh, over the band, he, he came to me and he was like, like, what are you doing? He's like, he just gonna he just gonna play a couple roles because what's his name ain't here, you know. So he was like, all right. So the teacher went up there and then when I had never played, now this is my first time playing with an entire band at one time, and my mind was too busy. I think my mind was too busy absorbing and not focusing on what I was supposed to play at the time that I I, I kind of, I, was, I wasn't zoning in on what I was supposed to be doing at the time. So, uh, 
I didn't freeze. The thing was, I didn't, I didn't freeze. It was, I started playing and I, and I lost time. So, but the teacher saw that I was losing time and he tried to tap me back in. So he was tapping me back in, like, this is where you at. This is where you at. And I was just like, okay. Then he gave me the nod and I was back on. And I was like, cool, cool. All right. But then they threw me a loop and said, jump on the base. I was like, what? Jump on the base? He said, yeah, that's even easier. All you got to do is, to, all you're doing is hitting one one every four, right? like something like that. So it was like, boom. They was doing, I remember the song was the Muppet Show theme. So my all I had to do was go. I remember that. But for some reason at that time, I don't know what was up with this bass drum and, and me at the same time, I had the timing and somewhere along the line, like I don't know if I spaced out or whatever, I, I lost the timing. And I was like, and my uncle would see me because he was on the quads. And so he would come over real quick and he would boom, 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 and hit and hit it right. So get me back on time. This was all during the performance. Yes. Now were other people noticing this or was this something yes. that just kind of was in your own mind? No. Because I knew I I knew I was wrong when some of the band members turned back to look at me. Oh. And I was like, oh, I'm off. I'm off. So and then I didn't know how at the time. I, I didn't have that much training and I didn't know how to jump back in the rhythm of it. That's why my uncle came over and just, you know, showed me, this is what you're doing. This is where you at. This is where you at. Keep it right here. Yeah. You know, so that turned into that. So um, moving forward, going into high school. In high school, yeah. Um, same high school, because he went to Roosevelt, I went to Roosevelt. So that made me a little easier going into uh, band class. And so... In band class, I I was in. I immediately jumped on the snare, and um, okay. So you so you were in the band class. You were in band in high school. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't in. I wasn't in the band, but I. I don't know why I didn't go to band. I don't even. Know why I didn't go to regular band. So I don't think. I don't. I I took. A, I was in class for band. Band class. I got you. Yes, I was in band class, and. To go to, I don't know why I didn't. I don't think I even care, actually. It, it was just more so of something to incorporate music, and for you to be able to have a day, a time of the day to do the drums, but nothing right. to really expand on that after that last hour of, class, of of school was over, and you can leave and go to the crib, watch Rap City or somewhere. <laughs> right, and not to mention that being there may have triggered that whole paranoia of you're gonna mess up in band you're gonna mess up in the band and that might have done me because the situation i had in middle school was like yeah. nah and i probably just blocked it all out of my mind and yeah. i was like nah i'm not doing band yeah like that. dope dope um well not dope but you know what i'm saying interesting at the yeah i got it <laughs> um so during this time like now what year did you graduate from high school 90 90 so during that time, this uh, okay. So around like your junior, senior year, come on, man, we got your own TV raps started. Uh, what's it? Rap City started with Chris Thomas. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. The mayor. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So by coming home now, now you're seeing the trends. Now you're seeing the elevation of hip hop from 
your mind of seeing the Run DMC days. Now here we go with the NWA and Special Ed and all. Now what was this doing for you at that point in your life? I mean, because I know for me at that point it was like, what in the hell is this? Like it was all just like, it was man. Looking back on that time, it was so refreshing and just dope. You know what I mean? And it's it's yeah. crazy because the other day when I seen um a little clip of Queen Latifah's The Equalizer. And every time I seen Queen Latifah, I'm like, man, I just, I'm like, wow, man, she came a long way. Because I remember, man, back when uh, You On TV Raps, Rap City first came out, and they used to show that Ladies First video, and I used to hate that song. <laughs> <laughs> With her and Moni Love, but mm -hmm. but to see the, ele the evolution of her from then to now, like, it's just like, man, hip hop, man, hip hop. So, right. so for you, now you're seeing the visuals to these music, to these songs, the music videos to these songs. What was that doing for you during your junior and senior year in high school? Well, seeing videos and the music itself uh, at a young age like that, uh, it would it turned into a, I guess, a scavenger hunt to a degree. So it was like, granted that, you know back in those days in the early 80s or whatever, you only had so many outlets of where you could find music or, you know, listen to or even see. Uh, I still took the time to try to figure out where could I go or, you know, is it is it a newspaper that I can look at? Is there a magazine, you know, you know, and, and that started happening for me because of places like, my mom should take me downtown, you know, to go to go shopping with her or whatever. And we go get some clothes or whatever. Those things we I used to see and hear music, like going into. I'm really telling my age. I've already told it, but uh, when you go into Platners and stuff like that, and they're playing music. Platners, <laughs> yeah. When you when we went in there and they playing music, that. I haven't heard yet. You know what I mean? And it was like, what that's crazy you said that. I wonder what were they playing? Were they playing cassettes? Because back then it wasn't music and from a serious satellite radio just playing in the. They were actually playing like cassettes, huh? Back then. Um, by that time, there probably was still eight tracks and forty fives in albums at that time. In the back of the store, just playing it while you. Wow. In the store. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or now, in some cases, was in, that on? Uh, was that on? Uh, which one was that? You said it was downtown. They had they had a few platinums in St. Louis at that time. Yeah, I, I was talking about the one from downtown. Okay, the downtown one. Because uh, another thing to add to the music of what people listen to is uh, that was big back then was uh, real to reels. Mm. So my uncle had a real to reel. Uh, my oldest uncle he had a real to reel, and he used to play music on that at his house. And he, I was like. You know, seeing a real to real like was like crazy compared to music on the real. Yeah, like like music video, or just the audio. No audio, audio. Wow. So it was like a cassette, but bigger. Right, right. So I would probably say that was before the a few years before cassettes was introduced. Mm. So, um, but with him playing music there, and then the stores playing music. Um, there was one time that I was with my with my uh, father, and he uh, 
he took me somewhere and this introduced me into the promotion game was uh we went to some place and i want to say it was either a radio station might have been ktz no maybe wesl at the time okay and uh they were on location and they were letting uh customers that came in pull from the box and see what you win and you were, you could go in the box and pull out a 45 and it'd be a 45 or it'd be a promo uh, 45 for a certain artist. Mm. And so I was like, yo, I was like, can I, I went up to the person like straight up by myself, like, yo, can I, can I stick my hand in the box and, you know, grab a, uh, grab a prize or a, a record? He was like, you too young. I was like, dang. So of course I went up and I was like, yo, can you, I want to get an album. I want to get one of the 45s out of it. So he went over, my, my, my father went over there and went in there and got one. And then he took me over there with him. He's like, go ahead, you can go in there, go ahead. We're gonna both stick our hand in there. And we stuck our hand in, got the 45 out. And I didn't even, I couldn't tell you what the 45 was at the time because I was just so ecstatic just to have a a 45. Went to my grandma's house and put on the 45 just to listen to see what it was. And it was like, oh man, anybody, anybody heard this? Nobody in the house heard this type of thing. So it gave me that whole buzz. Like oh, it was yeah. that it was that hearing something no one's heard yet. Right. Feeling. Right. Yeah. Um, and that gave me that was my first taste of like like record promotion or marketing or promotion when it came to music. Wow. And this was your this was around when this is high school? No, this wasn't even high school, man. Okay, this, so I'm still I'm still like all that stuff is still like middle school stuff, you know, but to get back to the situation where we was at, um going into high school and in the eighties and stuff and when when um like special ed and stuff kicked off man like that was an explosion of music style um culture everything that hit it kinda all hit at one time and every day it was like something different. You know, so when like after Crush Groove hit and uh, the time where Special Lead came out where I got it made. Oh man, when that hit, that was like that that toppled that toppled everything that was happening because it was like what? Because I went from or at least the vibe went from okay, even if you didn't have the best like um Azad or you know lacrosse or whatever it turned into that because of what he said in that record and of course him following that upping the game was slick rick mm. when he came out with the children's story and all that and came out with the whole truck jewelry and big daddy Kane. big daddy Kane. yes uh, Coogee rap, all of them started coming out with that, and they, and that's when, well, be, be, nothing to do with us, but Dapper Dan uh, catapulted in New York, and us seeing these styles of clothes and this jewelry that they had on, it was like, yo, this is like crazy, like they then took it to a whole nother level, and it was, 
it was a it was it was crazy it was like overwhelming because around that time when nwa came out with straight out of compton and all that i remember me and two of my boys we went to platinum's and we had got, <laughs> we had got the big the, the fat the, the big uh gold chains yeah yeah the things turned green like three days man <laughs> hey, that one day we felt like nwa walking around. <laughs> Like that is, I mean, I, dude, that thing was, that thing was, man, I'm telling you that the chain, man, it was like during that time, hip hop, man, was just taking over. Um, mm -hmm. So you graduated from high school. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Were you in, were you, were you rapping back then? Or were you like, you know what I'm saying? Like, were you just kind of just more still of uh, a consumer of, uh, of the music? So in high school, my last junior and senior year, my last two years, um, I became the guy to know what was about to hit. Wow. See, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so, so you what happened? Class, so everybody was coming to you like, yo, so like, give me an example. Like, okay. So let's say, um, well, how it all began was of course, just seeing music and hearing music and you had to have it. Right. And so what I used to do when I, I couldn't, I couldn't really pay for the music. I couldn't you know, have my mom or pay for the music or whatever. So I used to do, I used to, my mom used to give me, a, you know, money for a bus pass to get back and forth to school. And so what I would do was I would like, probably like every other bus pass, I would save that money and walk to school instead of catch the bus. So I saved my money to go down to Streetside Records in the mall. And um, I forgot the guy's name. It was a guy who used to work in a store. And he, he I used to go down there, even if I didn't um, buy records, I would go down every week, every week. For the new release? Yeah. Wow. So I would go down every week and he saw me every week. And then he was like, man, you, first he said, you, you come here all the time. You come here like every Friday, like that. I was like, yeah, man, I've been trying to see what's happening. I've Want to see what you know? So the new releases back then on Friday. I thought there was two. They, they weren't Tuesdays. No, it changed. Tuesday changed later on. Right. So it was on Friday. Mm. And so, um, he was like, he started seeing me come down there, and he started telling me like, "Yeah, you know the group in WA." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you know they got the, the eight ball giant." Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, man, they got another group um, that's coming out." I know you know I know you know about the oh, easy that <laughs> Not that group though. <laughs> but uh he was like, yeah, you got the he, he was like, you got the NWA, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you got that, you got the easy E, right? Right? He's like, okay. And then by that time, I believe above the law was about to hit. And so he was like, we got this one group called Above the Law, you know, they they, they own rookies too. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah? He was like, yeah. And he said, and of course, uh, they got another guy called the DOC. And I was like, okay, the DOC, you know? So then he was like, yeah, it don't come out for a minute, but, you know, I'm just letting you know because we're supposed to get, the, we're supposed to get them in sometime soon. And I was like, cool. So I would go back to school and everybody, you know, they'd be in class or some song may have popped off or whatever. And then I would just be like, yo, y'all heard of uh, the DOC? DOC. I've never heard of no DOC. 
like, ah, oh, oh yeah. Oh, he coming out, man. He coming out. He he with uh he with easy eating, man. Yeah. They got another group called uh Above the Law that's coming out. Man, how you know about this stuff? Man, I just know, man. I just know. And I never told I never told my secret. And so uh in the in the process of me doing that, uh I learned I had classes. That? How long was that going on? That was like until at least two boy, years until old boy got fired until he, until he he moved on to another job or something like that and you ain't see him no more it's like damn man that was my that was well, my plug man <laughs> well i'm a, i can say this so that was i used to go to camelot music he worked in camelot music downtown mm. and so what i used to do that was in st louis center so i would go to camelot music first because i knew he was there and so from camelot music i would go upstairs to music land after that wow to see what was going on. So wow. I would go, and I'm like, it's two different stores. They're gonna probably have the same music, but they probably don't advertise the same thing. So I would go there first. That's a smart, that was some smartness right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and you building your, your connects because you may know old boy downstairs at Streetside, but you may know somebody else upstairs at Musicland. Right, right, right. So, um, moving moving up and down the stairs like that you know different floors and then seeing what people advertise gave me you know i guess the you know the, the know-how to be like oh i can go back and say this this and this coming out or this this and this coming out to people and they wouldn't even understand where it came from because they probably didn't pay attention to a lot of it or they probably didn't even go you know look into it like i did so at those times when you you know what was it uh the rap magazines got heavy and uh word up yeah word up uh uh it's a few more word not up. the sort the uh, rap rap beat yeah yeah i knew it was something rap something and then uh because the source, the source the source didn't come out to like 90 91. right 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 so that's what i was about to get into like this is all before the source hit yeah so when they when used to go get i used to get these magazines and uh, they used to have uh, the posters in them. Yeah, the posters. Yeah. Inside. Inside the magazine. Yeah. So you could go buy the magazine, then you can get the poster, yeah. or they may have a whole, you know, one page. It might be an ad, but yeah. at the same time, it's a poster. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So you could pop it out. Yeah. And uh, put it on your wall. Yeah. And so that's what I used to do. I used to take all of those and then take them out and then put them on my wall at home. Wow. So back to school. I would start, people would start kind of trying to give me some competition on certain records or saying that you have you heard this or have you heard that? And I I didn't jump, I didn't get into the uh, the, the rhetoric of trying to say I knew this before y'all. I would just say what I knew. Yeah, right. And I didn't care if I heard it or not. Like one dude was like, yeah, you saying all this stuff, you heard a gigolo D? I was like, nope. What about Choose the Vogue's? Uh, nope. I ain't heard of it. And I was just leaving it at that. It wasn't, you yeah. know, people, people was, you know, I wasn't taking, you know, pride in it. It was, it was just that. competition thing. It was what you actually know versus what you actually don't know. Like, no, I don't know it, but I do right. know this. Exactly. And I, and it was the fact of me knowing uh, certain artists that were being, uh, I guess, publicized before, like, 
their record dates were coming out made it different from people that was like didn't heard people that heard of what well, unheard of people that were coming out or had records played already because it didn't make to them in the classrooms it didn't make sense i don't know what these people are oh but he said that uh uh what's his name special ed i'm about to drop in two weeks oh i'm a, I'm, I'm listening to him i don't care about these other people he's talking about i ain't never heard of them but i heard of him you know and that's what it turned into and more, so more the commercialized more of the commercialized artists that were on the uprise the the rapport that you were building with these commercial artists that were still dope hip-hop artists mm -hmm. people were going to you for that versus the underground super underground cats that didn't nobody know that let's say somebody else knew about right so you became that instant plug for what's new what's coming right right and so that's how you ended off your junior senior year in high school so after you graduated now here we are now 18 years old adulthood kicking in now <laughs> what do we do i'm well i mean i'm still i'm in my neighborhood so did you did, uh, you, go, did you go to school did you go to college yeah i went to well i went to uh business school for a minute for marketing uh for a while until 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 i didn't go no more oh. but i didn't finish so that was that. Mm, what 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 school was what school did you go to? It was a it was a business school on a professional business school on the south side of Grand. It was like Vatterot before Vatterot or something. So, so so you went you did that for some months or whatever. Then you decided mm -hmm. not to go back anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I didn't get at the time I didn't get I didn't get the loan or something. But anyway, that's nothing to worry yeah. about. That didn't stop what I was doing, so right. I just kept pushing. And so um, at that time, um, there was a street side records that popped up in the neighborhood. Mm. So I used to go down the street to street side records down there, and it was a it was a girl that used to work there. Did uh, kind of the same situation, you know? Oh, it's in the hood now. I can go down here and get tapes. That I'm on it. So I learned, you know, her. One day, uh, me and her, of course, got into a good rapport, and it got to a point to where uh, Do you I remember was, her name? Remember her name? Mm. I cannot remember her name. I want to say I can't. I, I would say Kelly. Okay. But she was she was blonde. I mean, I known her. I known her for a while. It, we she was there probably until almost the end. And then Al, I know you remember Al. Al used to work at Street Side Records. He's an older uh, white gentleman. You probably know if you see him. Which location but, uh, was this? This was uh, Grand in Arsenal. Okay. Yeah, but then he moved. He was at the very last location at the, the last day, you know, out in North County. Yeah, it's about off of... Uh, West Florida 270. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right yep. there next to uh, what's that? The, the toy children's palace, not toys or Russ or whatever. Yeah. Toy, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, you got it. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, so you, so you would go up in there. Now, during this time, was eighty-eight point one popping off Friday nights around this time? The uh, African Alert and stuff like definitely. that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and the, and the funny part about that was that I listened to it, but I didn't get. I didn't, I didn't get my information from them like that. 
Like my information came solely from me, uh, pretty much pioneering my way through music on how I saw it or, or the prop that I decided to take myself, the choices that I made. It didn't come from them back then. And even though, uh, you know, G Wisdom was out, you know, and uh, Russ, I think that was Russ that was with him. That was uh, yeah, doing African Alert. It added to what you was already knowing. So you're hearing these songs that, okay, we're, now you're doing, now it becomes more of an open book of information that expands on what you already know. So like, mm -hmm. you already knowing about, you know, DLC, Above the Law coming, or, you know, whatever, the new Special Ed songs, the new Slick Rick record. But then mm -hmm. on African Alert, you're hearing Chub Rock, you know, one of his songs that you haven't heard yet. You're like, yo, Chub Rock got some? So now you're looking into that information. Now you're like, okay, he got an album coming too. Because not everybody was in tune and listening to 88.1. Like, only a select few that was mm -hmm. really up on it was listening to 88.1, African Alert, back mm -hmm. in 91, man, 92. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to add to that, uh, even before um, African Alert, uh, I used to watch Rough Cuts mm. religiously. What what, uh, what did that come on? Rough Cuts was pretty much the beginning of, to me, it was like the beginning of African Alert before African Alert hit. So African Alert was probably found it in those times, but Rough Cuts was there probably mid-80s, mid, mid to late 80s. Um, and it was on uh, Double Helix. Okay. And it was public access radio, uh, public access TV that played videos. Okay. So, and the thing was is that they did videos that they got you know, from whatever labels from coast to coast, wherever it happened. But the the primary thing that they did was showcase local music and artists. Heavy. And that was because of G Wiz. Because G Wiz had uh Wizardron records back then and that was like a place to be and then Hudson Embassy was a place to be back then. You know, for me, that was kind of West Side-ish, kind of. So at that time, I like I didn't know to catch the bus right there to go to those places, to where people was rapping at. But I did hear about the um, the battles that were going county versus city that used to have at the West End Center and stuff like that. But for some reason, I didn't make it to a bunch of those because I don't know if it was just wasn't wasn't in my plan or wasn't in my stars to move in those areas at that time okay, until so, later. Right. So, so again, during the process of doing the process of that, you're building that foundation of someone the marketing part of you was 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 building versus right. the actual out being out in the open around rappers, your mind wasn't in that space. It was more into the what's coming dealing with the marketing, dealing with promotion. Well, why do I know what's coming? Well, because it's being promoted. And by that being uh, embedded in you from the gate, because that's your journey, all that's done along the way is built a foundation of other young kids that with that same mentality 
coming through because you have no idea what it is of the little things that you were doing as far as like with Shrew that became so much of a, a, a pocket of promotion throughout the city, what that done, what that did for another young, you know what I'm saying, youngster who saw that, didn't know that you were even a part of that, but that sparked the interest in them to where who knows where they are right now. I want to lead into um, going after high school and coming into the foundation, because right now, at this point in time, we're in the, you know, 93, 94 era of hip hop. Um, during this period, now we have, you know, hip hop is elevated to what it's become. Your TV raps, I believe, was about to end, I believe, maybe around this time, um, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was around the time when, I know Pac was still alive. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? But I know he wasn't full death row yet when uh, when uh, Your Own TV Raps um, ended. Rap City was still going, though. It was elevating. So by this time, and now St. Louis is kind of moving its way up on the rap scene. Now it's becoming this shine where we have cats like Silk Smooth coming on the play. How was that? See, now hip-hop is coming to your doorstep now within the city of local artists where we have, what's what's an old boy that's a, went to the fish house to get some fish, <laughs> you know, you know, records like that. 40. Like, how was that for you now seeing that occurring within the city dealing with hip hop? So with that record you just talked about, um, One Man Stand was his name. And it was, the song was called Because I Chill. Because I Chill. Yep. And that's a St. Louis classic, man. Right. But the funny part about you bringing that up was I actually went and bought that cassette and I only liked that song out of the entire project. Before it became a song on the radio. Uh, yeah, because of, I want to say either had to be G Wiz. I mean, this one that that had to be a fact right there. G Wiz had to tell me or play that record for me to be like, okay. And then Magic playing the record going in, I was, huh, interesting, you know. And then Magic played that record religiously, and I'm like, yo, what's going on? Like, and with him doing that, with them playing that record and then me hearing it ate nothing against I don't take nothing away from him because I actually met uh one man stand he was a yeah. cool guy yeah. but I did not like the music yeah. it made me it made me feel like there are so many other rappers here locally or anywhere else that sound better than him and how is he getting all of his shine which made me, in turn, be like, you know, I need to make up some songs that sound better than this. You know what I'm saying? Which turned me into writing more and doing songs. So that particular artist, that particular song, that what I just mentioned, <laughs> triggered you into saying, you know what, I want to start writing and this, that, and the third. Kind of get more involved on the aspect of, like, if this man can do it, I can do it, like you know. what I'm saying not like you said, not to knock what that man was doing, but once again, 
every everybody's journey is meant for another person's journey. So maybe that was also a part of your journey to see, because in order to handle all aspects of marketing and promotion and this and a third, you got involved with it all. Mm -hmm. to understand to understand it all. You know what I mean? Right. I'm sure, it was along the times that you got sat behind a drum machine, try to program a drum machine with the samples. Some somewhere along the line, you probably made a beat or two. Am I correct? Yeah. 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 See what I'm saying? But that's not what you do, but you've done it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now during this time, you then you join a with a group once your skills started getting up. Then you join with like a group as well, like in, in St. Louis, like a crew. I actually created the crew. You created the crew. Yeah. And what was that crew? What what's that crew's name? Ruckus Crew. So that was you. So you're the so, so you're the, the creator of the Ruckus Crew. That is correct. And what year did this come about? Man. Um <clears throat> to I guess to give it some depth, um it would probably have to be around 94 okay around 94 okay. that's what i'm saying so in that timeline now it's like okay i got this crew who's all who all who all are members of who all are members of the crew and are from the original members then are they still mem members now so it's well everything started for me rapping of course i was by myself so it was me alone. Wow, that's crazy. Doing yeah, doing stuff by myself. And uh, at the time, I didn't. This is probably ninety, probably ninety or eighty nine or so. And um, we used to have, of course, the double tape decks, and I used to make the pause tapes to rap over, you know, on the karaoke machine back in those days. And so from there. Uh, in my hood, of course, people come over to to my house, hang out, you know, whatever. And of course, we listen to music and all that stuff. And my uncle, he stayed um, the, on the floor be below us. And of course, you know, they still still doing the DJ thing. This uncle in particular didn't. He he was the one that had the group back in the day, but. Um, my other uncle still did the, you know, the DJ service stuff. So at that time they were doing parties, stuff like that. So um, at that time I would take on raps by myself and just do raps and just write them on paper and stuff like that. And the guys in the neighborhood used to come, you know, come in my basement. My basement was like rap seed the basement because I put up posters and I had turntables down there. And all that. 94, 95. This was, yeah, this is way, this was like 90, 91, easy. Yeah, 91, 92. Okay. Easily. So at that time, um, some, of, some of the guys would rap, but I would never rap. Because I'd be like, okay, okay. You know, but then. When you heard one man stand. Not, well, that was I'm that I'm gonna get to that point, but to get to I gotta say this to get to that point. So I started rapping because the guys were rapping, of course, in the, in my basement, and we, you know, I started recording people, 
you know, just just to hear their voices play back. You he was know, doing just all over the turntable. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, that turned into uh, okay. Now I'm gonna. I got it. Since I got all this time and everybody going home. I can I can do a rap or something. Fine, I can do one of these raps or whatever. So I started writing a few raps or whatever, and then I um, did a few songs, and then I uh, kind of put like some life things into some songs, and kind of came up with my home my own little EP, and just started doing stuff as a, as a whole. And then I just presented it to like the to to my to my neighborhood, you know, and it went from there. And so I had one guy. Egypt, youngest one of the youngest guys in the neighborhood that stayed on the next block over from me, came over by himself, and he had to be no more than like eleven or twelve at the time, and was like, "Man, I want to rap." Okay, come on, let's go, let's go try to make something happen for you then. What you got? Some raps you got wrote already, you know? So I'm trying to help him critique his raps, you know what I'm saying? Helping him putting words together, and no, don't don't say that put this there, you know what I'm saying? And that turned into that. So he was the first person, it was just me and him rapping. And who was that first? And who was that today? Hmm? And who was that today? Who was that today? Yeah. E? Huh? You talking about Egypt? Oh, that's who it is? I'm saying the 12 year old. Yes, he is still, his name is still Egypt to this day. Okay, Egypt, okay, okay. Yeah. I met him, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that that would make sense because that's how elusive he was. <laughs> so he stayed in the hood heavy. So uh, from that point, when me and Egypt, my uncle that took that I went to band with and all that stuff, he used to take us places because I was I would, could I could get in, but Egypt was way too young to get in. So we would try you know finagle the situation and get us in to try to go rap and whatever. So that's what we used to do. Then it got to a point to where later on, you know, we would start making a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff bubbling. Then I ran into another guy that we had a little group for a quick second. His name was Second Soul. And uh, me and him met on the basketball court in Fannie Middle School basketball court. He was, I was just rapping one day, you know, and then he got up, he kind of got you know, fired up a little bit. He was like, what, you, you, you were here rapping? You out here rapping? And then they was going back to play the game and I started rapping again because he had said a rap and then he tried to, I said another rap, it was like a battle, you know, but he had went back to, to rap. He had went back to playing basketball, but I was still rapping. And so right after the game, he gonna come over and try to say another rap. Rah, 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 rah. They was like, ooh, 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 yo, that was crazy, y'all. Yo, both of y'all killed it. Both of y'all killed it. Then I get a phone call from him like, yo, man, Trying to, trying to do some rap songs, man. What's up? And so that turned into that. And then at the same time, I still had E right there. But me was still conditioning, you know, learning how to get his raps together. And so from that point. So, so you was the Ali of the group. <laughs> right. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. But um, so after uh, a little time with him, with uh, Second Soul, you know, he kind of went somewhere. I think he went to the service or whatever, whatever. So uh, at that time, Scheme used to come around and Scheme used to be like, he's calling himself kind of like a, a, you know, the the hype man or whatever. And then um, one day we went to, 
we were getting ready to go out to the doghouse one day because it was a, a little, I guess it was a showcase or a talent show or something that we were trying to do. What's the doghouse at? I heard that name sound real familiar. Man, the doghouse was in West County. Mm. West County. Yeah, and to, to get there was was a ride, you know. So it, I went when I say like Baldwin, West County, mm. out that way. So, um, before we went out there and I was, you know, getting geared up for that, uh, scheme came down to the house and he had wrote like eight bars for a song, maybe even four bars or something like that. And, uh, he was so happy. He was like, yo, man, I got a rap for you, man. I got it. I got to say it for you. He on the front porch, like he, he amped up and I was like, okay, go ahead and say it. You know, and then it was like, first thing he said, he said, I'm representing Ruckus. Can't no other crew on STL touch us. I was like, what? <laughs> so I said, all right. And I had an idea as soon as I heard that song or say him, uh, him say that verse to put it in the song. So I was like, I'm going to use, I said, I want you to do kind of like an intro uh to this song so when it comes on it's going to be a little it's going to be a little spot in there for you to say your rap and i need you to do that but it's going to go right into the hook after that he's like all right cool so we get out to the doghouse and uh what's his name his name was plato at the time aka dj chaos mm. uh, put the cassette on the wrong side and didn't play like it was. We sit on the stage, wait for the music to come on for like five minutes. And we're like, "Yo, man, we need to do something." So I ran back there and I was like, "Oh, you playing on the wrong side for opposite side." So he done messed it up. So when it finally come back, I said, "Before I go out there, I need to make sure this is right." And so uh, Tony Sims had did the beat for us on this one. Tony who? Song. His name is Tony Sims. Um, oh yeah, okay, I heard, yeah, yeah. And the what I wanted to happen in the beat uh, was he did that, you know what I'm saying? Then what he, of course, what he put together, we kind of always collabed on stuff and I kind of like curated on how the beat went. The so, producer. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I was P. Diddyan, right. <laughs> so, um, when the beat dropped and I wanted to make sure the beat dropped, at the beginning to get everybody's attention. And so I didn't know it was gonna drop, but he I didn't know he had it on out where everybody could hear it. So as soon as the beat dropped, do do boom, everybody went, whoa, I said, cut it off. <laughs> cut it off. So that was it. So we went out there and we did the performance and we won that night. We killed it. We we slayed it. You know, it was like a hop, everybody like the neighborhood was all there and everything. And Everybody was like, yo, y'all killed that song. And then Scheme got so hyped to where he almost, he he almost like couldn't say the words. It was like he his voice went beyond and it was like his his soul was there, but the, the words almost didn't come out all the way. You know what I'm saying? But me knowing the words, of course, we all, I, I back up everybody on their words. And so we did the song and then we won from there. So that point on, Scheme was in the group. Okay. 
and, and and the bar that he said about we cause ruckus some 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 crude and then then you that then so you were the one that took that and said ruckus crew no that's what it sounds like <laughs> well well he had to i had to come up with the name before him for him to even come up to say i'm representing ruckus okay 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 so what made you come uh, up with that name ruckus thing um i can't remember exactly but it was it broke down to an acronym so it was real and adulterated crew kicking unique styles and that was the acronym for ruckus and uh i, mean, I, I asked that, I, that the reason why i asked and why i keep these years in line mm -hmm. because subconsciously we don't know some kind some subconsciously what we hear and what we take in becomes what we project so yeah. that's why i speak on the years because when you when I'm hearing the word ruckus, it kind of is taking me into that space of like Wu Tang. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I had it before Wu Tang. Before Wu Tang. So yeah, it's like a, this, we're talking we're talking ninety like you PMD or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've never heard the word ruckus. Till, and I'm trying to I'm taking myself back in that space. I never heard of the word ruckus maybe till like EPMD or something like, you know, some, you know, the you know, East Coast, you know, hip hop coming from St. Louis. We, ne we didn't go walk around saying, yeah, man, I cause ruckus, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Coming from mm -hmm. St. Louis. But from hearing it, you know, in rhymes, like something, something it's, it kind of reminded me of something like uh, Eric Sermon would have said, some, some duckets, ruckets, <laughs> duckets, ruckus. But anyway, so boom, the name came. Yeah. You scheme winning the winning talent shows. We going into the mid nineties. This point, you're obviously you're building your name up in the city. People yep. know who you are. You're not in high school anymore. You're a grown man now. You're going about life. Where did you work at the record store? I remember you. Now you were talking about street side. Huh? You never worked at a record store. So no. what was it about you that incorporated you into the hip hop music world in St. Louis to the point where you coming into um, the early, late 90s, early 2000, where you're on the radio doing fat laces. Now, were you a part <laughs> of Blueberry Hill? Nah, not we're really. Part of Blueberry Hill, but everybody, but everybody in Blueberry Hill knew who Fence is, though. Yeah, that's because I started High Point, though. You started High Point. There we go. So, where, what year was this? This all coincides with Ruckus Crew, High Point. Am I correct? That's where this was. Well, Ruckus Crew was before High Point. High Point was started in the fall of uh, 1998, wow. to be exact. What so, made you best spot to do that? Well, technically, I, I mean, let me just say I didn't start the night, but um, everything that I input into it, that I infused into the night became my night. Mm -hmm. So um, Haran from a group called Fat Trash was there and he started it and we went there, me and JC, which I didn't get to the part of JC being in Ruckus Crew. He came later, um, a few years later, I want to say like 90 five no 96 probably about 96 or 97 um came into the crew mm. so then how many members were in the ruckus crew 
Um, it's, well, it started out, of course, me and E, then uh, Skeen came, then JC came. And then uh, last was uh, CJ, was uh, one of the last guys, because uh, Egypt would be not nowhere to be found sometimes. Yeah. So he kind of came in to take a, you know, take stand in for him on a lot of stuff. So, and uh, yeah, that was the crew. So from that point, um, going into High Point, me and JC, because JC used to ride with me everywhere, you know. Um, Skeen did too, but JC at that point was on a high as far as, you know, wanting to be around because he was, you know, he's filming, you know, and uh, we went to, huh? From Philly. No, he, everybody's from, everybody from my crew is from the South side, from my neighborhood. Okay. So, so you, said, you said JC, he's something. Oh, he was feeling it. Okay, he was feeling it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he, at that time, he was kind of new to the, to the, to the game. He was, you know, he, he had his stories of what he did when he was at home or he was younger or what he, what, you know, what led him to the rap scene. But, with the ruckus, that was his point to where it was like the game has officially changed for me. Mm. And so he used to roll with me, you know. He used to, we used to work together, you know. And uh, we went up there one night because we saw a flyer that said they was doing uh, a, a spot. And one of the guys that produced for me, but when I was rapping by myself, was going to be there. And so I was like, cool, I'm gonna go show out, I'm gonna go, you know, show support to uh, Big Al because they're gonna be up there tonight, you know, doing their thing. And then, you know, they got up there and, you know, the, the show was happening and uh, Big Al had an artist. He wasn't even supposed to rap, but he knew the raps, but his artist wasn't there. So he just went up there just to be like, yo, my man ain't here, but I'm gonna do a couple of the raps. And he, you know, he was trying to do it. And he said, Later on, he had just jumped off stage. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, you know. He was just trying to represent for his artists. But then he saw me in a crowd. He was like, man, if I knew you was here, I would have had you go up there and do your, do the songs I produced for you. And I was like, I would have did, you know, it's all good. You know, so from that this, night. This is 98, the high point. Yep, yep. Was that was that on a Sunday nights? Monday, only Monday. High point. High point. High point cafe. Every Monday, right, Monday. right, right, right. That's right. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. 98, man. 98. Okay, so how long of the time were you doing this before it became your night? It was like, it was popping every Monday night. Leading um, up. To four months, maybe. Four months? Yeah. Because everybody had Blueberry Hill Friday nights. So that same crowd from Blueberry Hill Friday nights just come on over to the high point Monday nights. Not really. Not really. Okay. Not really. So what was happening during? It was it was it was some beef going on, some competition, so to speak. Uh huh. Nope. It's just just too different. It was just too different. Like some people came, you know, that used to they that would uh, come to the high point, went to Blueberry Hill, but we both started around the same time. So um, if you knew about that one because. Blueberry Hill was KDHX. We yeah. were we were nothing. We were just a night. So um, when I was talking to Iran about you know 
like, hey, man, who hosting, man? You know, whatever. And he was like, oh, I ain't got nobody hosting or nothing like that. And I was like, you don't have anybody hosting? Well, what's going on for the, you know, I got questions. Yeah. And he didn't have answers. Yeah. And he was like, ah, man, you just kind of doing something, man. I was like, well, let me help you. Mm. Let me help you get this together. Because DJ K9 was one DJ and then DJ Expo was the other DJ. So me and K9 already had her before because at KBHX, you know, the track panels was on with Sylvester the Cat the three to six in the morning. And so I used to go in there every now and then to hang out with them and be on the air and stuff like that. Three six in the morning? Yes. You was up at three in the morning, man, just on, on hip hop, just into it. Just... Yep, oh. three to six. Three to six in the morning? Yep, three to six on KDHX. Mm. So, Sylvester would be on the, you know, on the main mic and we'd be in there playing, you know, on the mic or whatever, saying stuff or whatever. And then K9 would be DJ, you know, and then going to the high point, we, I saw K9 up there. I was like, oh, okay. And then Expo, I knew Expo because he did mixtapes and uh, he was a cool dude. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's cool. All right. We got, we got something going on here. So that, uh, after that uh, week, Expo had a, a, a bad car accident and they put him out. When I say put him out, man, they put him out like he was, he almost, he almost died like that, that bad of a, that bad of an accident. Mm. And so with that happening, Haran hit up DJ Charlie Chan and Charlie came through. Now, I don't know if Haran knew it, but my crew and Charlie had history on being at spots together. So we had been doing different other, other spots before on a Monday night with Charlie. Like we actually were at Cicero's on a Monday night beforehand with uh, Charlie. And he would be like, look, I'm gonna give y'all the mic. Can't nobody else get the mic. You ain't got 10 but once, Charlie, I'm on it. So we, you know, a couple of times we did open up the mic up there. It, it turned into a, it turned into a whole thing, you know, because only people get on the mic is my crew. And that turned into that. So long, uh, to fast forward back or to fast forward that, out of that, they shut that down. And then we had nowhere to go on Mondays for a while. And then of course that happened. And then Charlie shows up. When Charlie see me walk in and he's setting up, he had to look at each other's eyes like, oh, it's, it's on. about to be on. It's on. Let's get it. So we already knew how to, you know, play off of each other. So I'm like, I'm going to go ahead and start hosting. I told Haran, I'm like, yo, I'm about to, I'm, I'm, I'm about to host. I'm going to show how to do this. We're going to get this thing popping. You know, from that point on, it every time, like, me and JC would do, like, I would say, come on, JC, we're going to freestyle at the end. We're going to do some freestyles at the end. Because that's what we used to do when we do our shows. We would have people, we would do a whole set, but then we'd have artists that came on before us to come up and do like a little verse or whatever and perform. You know, do a verse, hop off, let somebody else do a verse. And that's how we used to shut it down. So I took that element from that performance and put that in the end of the night so people can get involved and everybody get a time to shine, but if they was on stage to perform or not. Right. And I then in the every Monday. Yeah. So that came and that and that came from a freestyle that I did. 
um, with just me and JC. And so I came like this saying, and I was trying to figure out like, how can I get people to start coming up here and remembering and, and wanting to be here. And so I'm giving them, I'm like, yeah, I'm giving you a chance to rap, even if you ain't the greatest at the moment. And if you was whack, you'd be like, get out of here, you crackhead. It would be scratched in there. It wasn't, at that time, it wasn't there yet. Okay. We weren't there yet because I, we were giving people a chance because we didn't have a major crowd or anything. Yeah. We didn't have no crowd for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were trying to build. So at the same time, we were up there freestyling. We were getting other people antsy and wanting to freestyle. Okay, you can come up here and freestyle. Bit, bit, oh. Right. Right. So um, from September of 98 to February of 99, I had a guy from the Riffron Times come up to me and talk to me. And was like, hey man, I like what you guys are doing. Are you alright if we do like a little article or something? Why not? Y'all do it for time. Let's do it. You know? So once and again, that, it's all dealing with, in your mind, marketing, promotion. It's all festering up in there. I'm, I'm seeing mm -hmm. this. <laughs> they come in, he just does the interview on you. Right. And after and so, he comes out. That, that, that Wednesday, the paper dropped. That that following Monday, we had no space. Wow! In the really? high point for people to come in. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it'd be like a line coming up those steps, coming up the stairs. Man, it wasn't even. You couldn't. It wasn't a. You had to get up the stairs. You you couldn't get up the stairs. You couldn't get in there. So it was that jam packed. I had never saw it that packed. I was like, whoa! And I said, yo, this from times thing that took us to a whole nother level because they interviewed me um i pretty much was the head interview but then they talked to the other djs of course charlie chan then they talked to other people that were there and then they had spread photos and stuff like that you all, had, you all had a photo spread too yeah it was photos in the uh reform times too wow. yep so um that much that article hit, man, and it was the same time that uh, the Pope was supposed to be in town. Uh -huh. and so I was the Pope. Mm. And I was like, man, it's the same week the Pope going to be in town, man. I don't even know if we're going to even get, I was hoping we get the front page or something, you know? And Randy was like, uh, well, we just wait and see, man. I mean, I know, you know, the Pope's here and, you know, and all that. And then he never told me. And so he was like, the paper's out. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go find one. So I went down by Streetside Records on, on uh, Grand Arsenal. There was a uh, paper, it was some uh, Real Front Times papers down there. Man, I saw my face. On the Real Front Times front? I was like this. On the, I, was, I was posed up with the mic in my hand, like, arm extended saying something. I don't know what it was. And then Charlie Chan behind me in the back on the tables. I was like, oh my God, I need all these papers in here right now. I went home. And I showed the papers, man, and then I brought some up there, and then I was like, I tell, I was telling everybody, go get a, go get a few of these, go get a few of these. You know? For those that don't, for those that are watching this and listening to this, the Riverfront Times magazine in St. Louis, I don't know how it is now, but I know equivalent to when I came back from school to St. Louis from like 2001, 2002, it was the equivalent to like the Source magazine dropping every month, every month, like. 
in Riverfront Times, I would get a Riverfront Times every week because it's kind of like what's going on, what what went on this past week, what's coming up this upcoming week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for right. this man to be on the front cover of that in ninety early ninety nine, right? That was kind of like the because I think at the time Riverfront Times was still coming up as well too. Correct? Well, they were they were already up. They were already up because they were already been doing the best ofs and everything. And with the with the best ofs, it kind of helped us too because and it helped the high point because of uh we had they gave us best open mic. Mm. So, so for people that want to just kind of be close to the culture, that was a safe space for them to go to to be a part of the culture here in St. Well, in St. Louis, the hip hop culture in St. Louis. Right. And they can still go back home to their, you know what I'm saying, to wherever they're from and be mm -hmm. back in their regular life, but always know they can come back to this. Right. So leading up into that point, I would I would assume during this time is when, you know, you pretty much probably already knew Needles, the relationships with Needles, relationships with Solo was kind of already kind of going into um, mm -hmm. the, new, the new decade, 2000 and so forth. What right. was it that started to stem from the uh, to, to enter into uh, fat uh, fat laces, and what was the reason behind that? <laughs> so, at the time of the high point, um, it catapulted throughout the city and just became a, its own fabric. Um, the new radio station decided to drop down to the city, which was Radio One at the time. Um, Craig Black uh, came down and uh, Mike Fox uh, he was the program director for the radio station at the time and everybody kept saying that it was going to be another radio station coming in to St. Well, Louis it was going to be it wasn't even a radio station at that time it was was 108 still around at that time yeah yeah. The, uh, the, I think it was the beat at the time 100.3 the beat was, was here at the time so with uh, with them being the only place to get hip hop at that time, I assume that they could, um, they figured that they could come into the city and, you know, I guess get some competition because St. Louis has always been one of those cities to where if you could make if you could break a record here, you would be all right everywhere else. That's what I've been told, you know, for years on on years. So. Um, with that being said, um, Mike Fox said, I need the dopest DJs in the city that's not on the radio, of course, that's in the clubs or who's in the noise. Who are those people? And everybody kept saying, DJ Charlie Chan. And so what they did is they came down one night. The, the staff came down and checked us out one night at the high point and saw what we were doing. And uh, they were like, yo, Charlie, Charlie, you killed it tonight. You know, this, this and that. And then Craig was the night job at the time. And he was like, hey man, I want, I, I want y'all to do what y'all did on my show. Can y'all do that on my show? And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you want me to bring the crew or whatever? He was like, yeah, I mean, just let me, yeah, let's 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 try to do it. Let's try to hook it up. So he was, I was like, all right, cool, I'm with it. A couple weeks go by, he came back, he kept on. He Every week he would be like, I'm ready for y'all to be on the show. I'm ready for y'all to be on the show. And I was like, okay, well, we can do it. I mean, before we come here on a Monday. 
he was like, okay, cool. What time y'all get here? I say, we usually, we usually get here about nine, 9.30. Cool, we'll do it at nine o'clock at the station. Then y'all can just come down here after that. Bet. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. That's perfect. So uh, we go in. On a Monday. Yes. So you before you all would go to High Point that night, then you go to the station before? Yes. Right. So then you would, so if it, then your night on Monday nights will start around what time? We said 9.30. So by, put, put it like this. By the time we finished uh, being on the air on uh, 95, Q95.5, I would, I'd be like, the door is open. You want to come to High Point? The door is open. We're on our way there now. So how long will you all be on the air? For about an hour? Maybe start around seven? No, we we, we started at nine, nine o'clock. Hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on. So you would basically be on the air at the same time that the time that the actual place is kicking off to where people can automatically go to High Point, be there while you all are on the radio to where then when you all are done, you're still there, and it's already a DJ there playing the playing music. To where by the time you all leave the station and come back, come to High Point, now you're on the mic, basically pretty much like kind of wrapping up the night, so to speak. In a sense, but not actually. So the night at High Point, the DJ would start spinning at 9:30. Yeah. Uh, we start at the radio station. We would come on about nine. And then we'll do the whole set until uh, for about 30 minutes. And so by the time we get done, we'd already be open. The DJ already be playing. Okay, it's only 30 minutes long set on on, on the radio. Yeah. But that's so, like double promotion. That's like, and whose idea was that? Mine. Marketing <laughs> and promotion, man. Okay. So... Okay, so okay, so you were doing that. You all started mm-hmm. that. Now this was you and Chan. Yeah, um, yeah. Chan would come up. He would be. He would come in and he would DJ for us on the radio station to do, you know, um, instrumentals and stuff like that. So we'd start off by rapping and stuff like that on the air. On the air. Oh. Yep. And so from that point. Uh, we would go we would go from there and then go down to the high point and do our thing at that point. Now for those that are listening and watching this, keep in mind this was this is a FM radio station that was got it's no it's not a problem flipping the, the, the channel and hearing this on a wide scale and these guys are on the air freestyling <laughs> like it's a like it's a <laughs> uh, FM station towards the end of the dial. <laughs> it's like we're talking like in the middle of the dial. You know what I mean? On a night. Right. Yeah. 10,000 watts. Easy. (laughs) This is is going to Warrington and this is being spread out. This isn't just no local in a five mile radius. Not at all. Just cats on the (laughs) spitting over uh, instrumental hip hop instrumentals. Exactly. What led to, okay, so now the success of High Point is going. What led you to transition from that and, with, like I said, getting needles and starting fat legs? Because I uh, want that, everybody to know, when I still have copies of that to this day that I have transferred to CD, I got volume. I got about a, about a good four to five CDs of fat laces to this day. 
Good, I, I need them. <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, yo, I gotta record this. I gotta record this and remember this, man, because this was on a major platform, underground hip hop. I'm talking about on a Sunday night for a good three hours, man. Yep. And coming from St. Louis, I found out about Soul Tide through Fat Laces. My first time hearing about hearing the Cash record. The ding, ding, ding. and I'm like, step. and I'm like, who is this? It's like Black Spade. Y'all playing Cash. Louis's own Cash. Woo woo. They play, y'all playing Soul Tide. Y'all playing all these, you know, and then stuff that I have never. It felt like listening. It felt like I was listening to like one of the DJ Premier Future Flavors or something, man. <laughs> but on a but on in St. Louis, man. And I'm like, yo, who are these guys? Like, and just in where I was in my life at that time, I'm like, yo, I gotta, I gotta get to know these guys. These guys that are hip hop cats. <laughs> I'm just keep in mind, I'm just getting back to St. Louis from finishing school. So right. I'm trying to get into the mix. So, what? How did that trend? How did that happen, man? How did that go about to where you were able to be on that platform, doing it? So, um, with me being doing KDHX from three to six, but like. I did that for like 10 years, bro, flat out with Sylvester and the track vendors. And uh, of course I learned the board and how to run, you know, how to run the, um, the board and the show. Um, one day from me just going, just doing a show up there and uh, at, at 295.5, um, one day I just happened to call Needles and Needles had just defected from 100.3 to beat to Q95.5 to do Fat Laces. So he was so, already full Fat Laces? Yeah, because he started he started on 100.3 to beat. Hmm. Well, it was yeah. just him playing music, right? Yeah, he would talk, but he didn't talk a lot. But he, he did talk on the show. And then he had, uh, he had a host with him. Um, can't remember what Nikki's name was at the time, but she was on there and it was a couple of people. I think it was one of the person that was on the show with. But anyway, uh, he had just came over to Q955 and I just called him because of course I'm from just my, my idea was to let me call Needles and congratulate him on, you know, moving over and, you know, do, being having a, a new show on a new station, on the same show but a, a new station. What's up, me? You chilling, man? Man, just want to congratulate you. Well, he's like, "Hey, man, you doing anything right now?" I was like, "No, what's going on? What's up?" Hey, man, I need some help. Hey, can you run a board for me? Sure, why not? I'm on my way. Went up there to run the board for him on the show. When then, and I was trying not to talk at first because I didn't think it was my place because it was his show. And then he was like, "Man, yo, go ahead, talk." And then. Coco Tai came in and gave me the uh, the copy points for the commercial, oh, not for the commercials, but for the taglines and stuff that you say, the sweepers and stuff that you say between music. And I was like, okay. I didn't know what it was, but I was just looking at it like, cool. And then she didn't even know who Needles was at the time because she thought I was Needles because I was behind the board. And then she took a back. She's like, oh. And then she went and gave me Needles into the air room for the DJs. And so he would just, you know, go over the copy points and I would just run a board for him because he didn't he didn't know how to run a board yet or 
and the board was in another room from where you ran it from for right. the DJs. Yeah. So I ran a board for him. That turned into me helping him with the show on, hey man, you think you could do this on the show? Or I know you got you you got you got everything down, but I just got a couple ideas or whatever, you know. And I would, you know, give a couple ideas and just keep the show running, keep him on top of his game at the same time. That turned into, well, you, well, you might as well crack the mic. I mean, you already you're here every week. You know, and Craig was like, So you 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 uh you running the boards for needles? I was like, Yeah, you asked me to run the boards for him. So I said, Yeah, I'll run it for him. Okay. So that goes on for a year before I'm actually okay. a real employee for Radio One in the city. So for those that are listening, that right there, this right here just goes to show. You can't just come into anything that you want to do doing it, thinking you're going to get paid to do it. You have to actually enjoy, feel what it is you're doing, pay your dues doing it with no type of, so when am I going to get, or so yeah, man, so you're going to give me this, you know what I mean? Like this man did this out of just the love of doing it, his relationship with Needles, his relationship he built with um, Craig Black wasn't getting paid for it. Just the love of it, man. Yeah. You have to understand you have to have the love for something, the love for the passion of what it is you do. Eventually you will get money for it, but you can't go into it looking for the money, for the payout. You have to put in the work, put in the time. This man took a year, four seasons, before eventually on the clock, the payroll of getting a check from Q95.5. Right. So I want to just put that out there for people that are listening to this that don't know about that aspect of it. You have to put in the work. Yeah. Even if you're not getting paid. More so like an internship. You were really yeah. working as an intern. Pretty much. What you enjoy doing. And you still had a job doing what it is you're doing. Now I want to fast forward you're doing this, blah, 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 blah. How'd you link in the solo to where eventually you started doing shrewd marketing? So back at the high point, um, there's pretty much two companies that did street promotion in the city. One was Platinum Projects, and then the other one was uh, Blue Concept that turned into shrewd marketing later. Um, Why was the name changed from Blue Concepts to shrewd marketing? Um, pretty much Blue Concept was Solo and uh, Alahan's uh, creation, but by way of True or Ronadab Chotary in uh, Chicago because of their connection. So I think that started with uh, him coming in with, I think, one DMC or something and he, asked, he just happened to see them. He was like, hey, you guys want to see Run DMC or whatever? Like, yeah. You know, and then, cool. Uh, do this stuff for me. You know, and it turned into a different situation. And then Projox, before that, was doing marketing stuff. They were getting a bunch of stuff in. And I think, I'm not sure about this one because I don't know. Because I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it with my ears. But uh, I guess Jock and them... Uh, Gave it over, gave that to Westenham after a while. So um, at the high point, 
marketing or promotion for labels and stuff like loud was coming into play and all these labels started oh, having what coming into play like as far as being a label like loud was new at the time oh, okay 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 yeah so that and a couple other labels of course like uh, priority and uh Interscope and atlantic all those type of labels started getting budgets for street marketing and promotion so <clears throat> the the guys um solo came up one night and was like hey man we got something that's coming out um i think by this time it may have changed to tuesday the, the uh the releases changed to tuesday by the time so monday night became a uh, opportune night for any label in the in the in the United States anywhere if you had a pop at night this would be perfect to do whatever you want to do Monday night was our night I would come out on Tuesday we were open till 1 a.m at midnight stuff quote unquote would be on sale if the stores were open if they you know at that time I don't think a lot of stores were open only a few stores would be open at midnight depending on how big the artist was mm. But he was like, can I put up some posters and, you know, yeah, maybe you all can give out some CDs or something, you know? Yeah, why not? Now, did, you, did you know Solo at this time? Yeah, I knew him because we both had hip hop nights. He had Blueberry Hill at the time and then... So Solo, had, that was Blue, Blueberry Hill was Solo? Yeah, him, well, KDHX, so Solo was over there with KDHX with FlyDX and uh, Alahan. Yeah, Alahan and because that kind of to me, that was the next generation of African alert. Yeah. Blue so yeah. yeah. So that the science is what you call it. Right. Is the actual name of that. Yeah. So the science on 88.1. Um that turned into that. And so with both of us having different nights, I would go down there because I mean, I knew the guys there and then that a lot of a lot of guys knew me. And I would just go to hang out just to hear some music and just hear what they playing on their station, you know, and on and at their night, you know. And so uh, they would do promotion over there, of course, and then uh, he wanted to come do promotion up there on Mondays. Cool. Uh Dwayne Randall, their their own platinum project, would do the same thing. Now he was uh, a part of Fat Clips, which was the video show. So that was his his situation over there. So we had the videos, and of course they had the promotion going on. And so with both of those, he would come up and say, "Hey, I need some stuff promoted for tonight or whatever." Or call me in advance and be like, "I need some stuff promoted." Cool, come on, put it up. You know that turned into that, and then it turned into I need an exclusive night for Monday night because um, Raekwon about the drop or Pete Rock about the drop. You know something like that will drop on live yeah and then of course Dwayne would come and say the same thing you know I need an exclusive night on this new joint from Jay-Z or whatever you know I need an exclusive night so I can so we can promote this all right cool then it turned into um they kind of bumped heads because some people were having albums come out at the same time so it was like I want exclusive I can't give you an exclusive I want exclusive I can't give you an exclusive tell you what you can have the left side, you can have the right side. You take your pictures on that side, and we take your pictures on this side. So I was kind of mediating the situation between both of them. Wow. And so 
uh, Dwayne was like, you know what, man? I need I need you to come over here with me, man. Like, come come help me out at Planet Projects. And I was like, yeah, I gotta get paid though. I gotta get paid. Because now things things are advancing. So exactly. Like, yeah, I did a year over here. Ain't wasn't getting paid, but. And then I'm doing I'm doing helping y'all with y'all promotion that y'all getting paid for, on top of it. So, if you want me to come on the team? I need to be paid. I need to be paid. I can't come in as an intern like everybody else does. <laughs> Facts. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> hey, look. Maybe we can continue. You know what I'm saying? Because I know you know what I'm saying. You're shorty crying. Yeah. Listen, listen, Finster, I appreciate you, man. You know what I'm saying? We're going to do a part two on some later. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, but this right here was a real good interview, man. This went on, it seems like three hours. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> how can people reach you, man? Like, to you know, if they need, because I mean, you have your own company as well. How can yeah. they do for promotions of nowadays? Like, how can they reach out? Uh, everything across the board is Amp St. Louis, A M P S T L O U I S. Anywhere you look, that's me. That's my company, Authentic Marketing and Promotion. is the company that I've been running for the last 11 years. So, um, yeah, we'll get into we'll do a part how two. my company. We'll do hmm? a part two. Fista, I appreciate you, man. I don't want to hold you up, man. But I'll let you know uh, <laughs> about this episode. <laughs> hey, congratulations to you too, man. Appreciate it, bro. All right, thank you, man. No doubt. <laughs>